Welcome back to the Glacier Guys. I'm here with my co-host, Joey. And today we have a very special episode. We are joined by um, fellow classmate, Jack Zampillo. Uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Glad to be on. No problem, man. Um, Jack, you have a podcast of your own you've been writing for a while. Uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. Uh, so it's going on about two years now that I've really got into MMA. Uh, my podcast is about MMA, the UFC, uh, mostly. But yeah, it's been about two years that I've been watching MMA religiously, and it's been a little over a year that I've been writing and podcasting. Um, it was kind of cool how it started, actually. I just got involved, um, got myself entrenched in MMA Twitter, and I started writing you know, articles just on my own, putting myself out there just to see if, if anybody noticed me. And a company, small company out of Philadelphia called Scraptitude, and a guy named Tim Lewis, he noticed me, and things kind of just took off from there. I started writing for them, uh, started my own podcast, and now, um, obviously, I have the Z and Clay show that I do with my friend Clay Wakeman, so everything's going really well. Um, I'm excited for the future, and it's just been a lot of great experience with the podcast and the writing, so. That's awesome. And you said just two years ago you heavily got into UFC, or have you been watching it, like kind of here and there for most of your life or you just really just got into it i really just got into it i was at oh. western michigan my freshman year of college and i had this buddy named jake who you know was watching it all the time and really try and get me into it and you know i'd watch it here and there with him and then mm. i think it was the connor habib card i really followed the build up to that really? you guys remember oh, yeah. how crazy that build up yeah, was, was insane and then after that, it was kind of like there was Max Holloway versus Brian Ortega. That was an incredible fight. Mm -hmm. And after that, UFC 232, uh, John Jones versus Alexander Gustafson, the rematch. I don't know if you guys remember their first yeah. fight. It was super close. Oh, John yeah. Jones won of by course. a controversial decision. Yeah. Um, and that was the first card that I really watched from top to bottom. That was the mm -hmm. first card where I, I couldn't take my eyes off the screen. Mm -hmm. And ever since then, you know, my love and passion for the sport has just grown. So. Mm -hmm. <laughs> tell you what that's literally the perfect time to get in the mma honestly like <laughs> <laughs> yeah that, that was a hell of a rematch and it was a great card um oh, yeah. amanda nunez i don't know if you guys remember she went up against chris cyborg oh, my yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that was yeah. supposed to be like her biggest uh challenge up to yeah. date yeah we were, we were talking about that after the last nunez fight yeah well, Cyborg was supposed to win that fight. Right, yeah. And Amanda Nunez was moving up to 145 pounds. Oh, yeah, that's right. And it wasn't only the way, it wasn't only the fact that she beat her, but the way in which she did it. Yeah, going out there and throwing herself right into the fire, knocking her out cold within the first minute and a half. Yeah. It was just an incredible performance. And it solidified Amanda Nunez as the greatest of all time. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Cyborg was like known as like the girl you know like mm -hmm. in that weight class especially like i a lot of people didn't even like give nunez a chance honestly so. no and then nunez i mean she effectively ended ronda rousey's ufc career as well right <laughs> yeah <laughs> and that was uh that was a very very sweet moment looking back on oh, yeah. i'm not a big fan of ronda rousey uh the way that she handled herself you know within the ufc kind of the way she went out um you know watching amanda nunez knock her out the way that she did it was, oh, yeah. <laughs> it was a very good sight to see i mean after the holly home fight it, it was it was kind of a parent that ronda was a little broken but um yeah, yeah i agree just the way she handled herself it was like man how did I, like the biggest star of the ufc at the time arguably and just to fall off so fast it was crazy to see that yeah definitely 
and also, you know, the way that she blamed her fans for a lot of that. You know, I don't know how much you guys follow it, but she blamed her fans very heavily for the way that she went out. And in my opinion, that's just not the way, you know, you go out of a UFC career. No, I I think it was more just her putting so much pressure on herself. Like, just like, grow, like, just ever since she got into the UFC, she was always the top dog. Right, because she was she just, just couldn't handle the adversity, honestly. Yeah. Seriously. I mean, she, once she got challenged, it just showed that she couldn't really keep her own in, in the UFC yeah. in general. Which is kind of crazy. You don't really see that much with fighters nowadays. Like, no. It, a lot of the time, like, they'll, they're will they always, like, egging for that rematch after they lose, after, like, going on, like, such a long streak. You know yeah, exactly. I mean? But like, I think the way that she got dominated, like, you see, I mean, when Conor lost to Poirier, obviously, like, he's like, all right, we're going to run it back, whatever. Even with Adesanya, he moved up and he lost, and he was undefeated before, but he's like, this isn't going to phase me, you know? Take so. it like a champ. Exactly. Exactly. But like, I don't know. She just kind of, she, when she lost to Holly Holm, she kind of just lost all confidence. Like she just never was the same. Afterwards. No doubt. I mean, I know she wasn't the youngest after that. Like she just kept getting older. But, mm -hmm. You know. Yeah, I mean, a loss can do great things for a fighter, and a loss can also be very detrimental to a fighter. And I talk about it all the time. Ninety percent of the game is mental. You know, you, you oh no can't, doubt. You can be the strongest, most powerful guy or girl in the world, but if you go in there with anything less than being 100% up here, your chances of winning a fight and succeeding on the biggest of stages like Ronda was up against, you know, with Holly Holm and Amanda Nunez, right. her chances of succeeding mm -hmm. deplete significantly. Mm -hmm. And you do have a team behind you, but when you go in there, like, that's why UFC is so crazy because it's just you versus the other person, exactly. you know? That's why it is so mental. I agree 100%. Yeah. How, how important do you think, like, a buildup to the fight is? Like, do you think it can intimidate a fighter, like, either way? Like, like just from hearing what the other fighter is saying about you, like, on interviews and stuff? Oh, definitely. I think that, you know, intense buildups to a fight really tests both fighters mental strength um you know you talked about dustin poirier and conor mcgregor mm -hmm. one of the things that you know they fought back in 2014 right. at featherweight um they were both very young in their careers that was kind of conor's coming out party i would right. say dustin talked about all the time you know the build-up to that fight was very very intense they were going back and forth on fight week you know in the hotel lobby it was just a you know they they didn't like each other at that point in time and Poirier talks about it all the time, that he lost that fight before he even stepped into the octagon. Right. I believe that Conor McGregor lost the Habib Nurmagomedov fight before he even stepped into the octagon. We talked about how crazy the buildup for that one was. So, you know, I think that, yes, a buildup and, and, and a, you know, intense back and forth kind of build up to a fight can have an effect on your mentality stepping inside the octagon because fact of the matter is if that guy standing across from you is talking a, a bunch of crap your way it could have an impact on your mentality you know sometimes no that gets to fighters yeah and i think it like when connor was talking about um like to khabib i think that fired him up in the right way for him but then you look at somebody like uh, Jose Aldo, and I think he lost that fight before it even started. Oh, definitely. Um, Connor definitely got into Jose Aldo's head. No doubt. Weeks, months before that fight was supposed to happen. Um, and, I, you know, what happened with that fight, too, McGregor and Aldo were scheduled to fight. Right. And. Oh, yep, yeah, yeah. He had to pull out of that fight a couple weeks before. Conor McGregor wound up winning the interim belt off of Chad Mendez. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and right when that happened, all the attention shifted Connor's way. It yeah. was like Connor was the undisputed champion and Jose Aldo was kind of just An hiding in the shadows, right. right? 
And so, you know, in the buildup to that fight, Aldo felt like he wasn't the champion because Connor went into Brazil, called himself the King of Rio, you know, in front of all of his people and, and essentially embarrassed him. And the shot that put Jose Aldo out is a shot that he's been able to take before and weather before. Mm -hmm. So it is 100% correct to say that Jose Aldo lost that fight oh, yeah. before he stepped in the octagon. No doubt. And even with like the shenanigans, like Connor taking his belt before the fight and all that, it's, it's just like you could see that he was clearly a deer in headlights by the time they got in the octagon together. No doubt. Yeah, I think he definitely totally took him out of his element and his game plan like he he honestly probably didn't even hear his coaches and like for like the oh no doubt yeah few seconds that the fight well, it was 12 seconds right yeah it didn't last very long but he definitely just was completely out of his mind when he got in there and that mendez fight it was uh with connor that was a pretty close fight right it was Connor almost lost yeah. earlier in the fight yeah um he was getting beat up a little bit on the ground mm -hmm. chad mendez landed a couple nice elbows from top position but as soon as connor was able to get back to his feet he mm -hmm. recognized that Chad Mendez tired himself out trying to get that finish on the ground. Right. Connor landed a couple nice shots to the body and was able to finish the fight w with a beautiful left hand. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and that performance alone and McGregor's performances prior to that goes back to people recognizing Connor as the undisputed champ when he was in reality just the interim champ. Right. But he had that aura about him, that superstar, that name equity behind him that he was just able to do the things that he did because Jose Aldo went undefeated for almost 10 years. You know, he yeah. ran the featherweight division for almost 10, 10 years, and this guy comes in and stops it in 13 seconds. Yeah. It's crazy. And, you know, the significance of that performance will never be weighed as greatly as it should be. Mm -hmm. um, I talk about it all the time that Conor McGregor is the biggest what if in UFC history. Um, the run that he went on at featherweight is one of the best runs in UFC history. No doubt. Um, but I think with the way that Conor has handled the past few years of his career, and depending on how this third fight goes with Poirier, you're really going to start to see this newer generation of MMA fans not recognize Conor McGregor for what he is and was. Right. They're going to think of him more as like a like an entertainer than like an actual fighter, you know what I mean? Like rec not recognize his accolades as much more than recognize his Rolls Royce that he pulls up in before the fight. Yeah. I actually have a bold prediction that Conor McGregor is going to finish his combat sports career in the WWE. Really? I do. I think that as soon as it's apparent that he's, and I'm not talking soon, um, you know, I mean, depending on what happens in the Poirier fight, I think if he loses that fight, he may retire, actually. Yeah. But if he wins that fight and, and you know, goes on to become the lightweight champion or, mm -hmm. or get a couple more wins and compete at the top of the UFC like he did once before, I think we'll see it a few years down the line. Um, but I think that McGregor has the mindset of I'm going to do what I can to make the most amount of money that if Vince McMahon or whoever's running the, the WWE at that time came to him and said, hey, Connor, we'll drop you this big of a bag to make this many appearances. Right. I don't see why Connor wouldn't take that opportunity. Yeah, and you can't really blame him either. It's not like money's an issue for Connor, but I mean, if he's done in the UFC, there's no way he's going to be out of the spotlight or even want to be out of the yeah, spotlight. You exactly. Know? He's a... Uh I mean, he's a 
honestly, I feel like he's a businessman first at this point. So yeah, no he's doubt. He's definitely going to do whatever's going to going to make him money, of course. And it's not like this is like an unheard of move either. Like we've seen people go from the UFC to the WWE plenty of times. Mm-hmm. So. Most recently, Cain Velasquez, yeah. former UFC heavyweight champion. After he lost his last fight to Francis Ngannou, he kind of just said, you know what? I love the WWE. He started training, you know, preparing his body for that type of, um, you know, that type of, of, what it requires, the type of energy and the type of athleticism that it requires, because it's different, right? Mm-hmm. WWE, you're doing backflips, you're jumping off of stuff, you're getting hit with, you know, t- you know, fake chairs. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. It's a lot to prepare for. Yeah. Um, so, you know, people that say that it's an easy transition, I, I would heavily disagree with no, that no because, you know, it's a show they're putting out. Yeah. Like, like there's a lot that goes into that. Seriously, oh, yeah. I mean, they like get thrown through tables and stuff. Yeah. Like, it's crazy. <laughs> and you're doing flips off the. A lot of it. I mean it's it's fake fighting but i mean it's still taxing on your body you know you're jumping off 12 foot ladders yeah <laughs> it's like there's some crazy stuff that they do and accidents have happened before where mm-hmm. people fall and they've literally lost their lives so it's like yeah it's, you're still taking a risk i actually listened to a story that i don't know if you guys remember the big fight i don't know what wrestlemania it was but between john cena and the rock okay okay and yeah. The Rock, I heard an interview that he was doing, and he was talking about that fight, and they had, like, 20 minutes to a half hour left in the match. It was a long match, almost an hour. Okay. And The Rock was talking about how they were doing this one move, and he felt something just, like, tear in his, I think it was his leg, or it might have been his shoulder, one of the two. Um, and he talked about, you know, right there, I either could have lied down and, and took, taken the injury. And I mean, obviously that that's a good excuse because if you're injured, you're injured, but he talked about, you know, the mental strength that he found within himself to persevere through the rest of that match, getting slammed multiple times after, you know, I think he said he wasn't able to feel his leg or something like that. It was this like fiery, tingly feeling. It was really intense. He, he, you know, the way he was talking about it, he made it seem really intense. Um, You know, so it's a grueling, grueling sport. I mean, we call it entertainment, but, but it is a sport. It requires a certain amount of strength and athleticism. No doubt. Yeah. yeah. It definitely doesn't get as much respect as it does like for sure and vince mcmahon's a smart businessman i mean oh, he makes a, a ton of money yeah. Oh, yeah ton of money the longevity genius. that the wwe has is long lasting like they're not going anywhere no compared to any other yeah sport. no doubt absolutely no doubt um so we were, we were talking mental game a little bit earlier um connor lately especially before the poirier fight he's taken a more i you could say mature approach to the fights do you think the lack of trash talking was detrimental to the fight at all or what do you think about that because a lot of people have been saying that i think that's a weak narrative to get behind Mm -hmm. i think that's also a very very played out excuse to make Mm -hmm. and you know connor's fan base and like you said a lot of people have been you know asking those questions well does Connor not have that edge to him anymore? Mm-hmm. And I don't really think it's that. I think over the past few years, we've seen an incredible amount of maturity from Connor McGregor. I agree 100%. And I commend him for the changes that he's made in terms of the way he handles himself. Are we ever going to see the Connor McGregor that trash talk and knocked out guys on his way to becoming a double champion ever again? I don't know, but what I do know is that do not underestimate 
the amount of competitive edge that Conor McGregor still holds under his belt. Just because we don't see the trash talk as much as we once did, just because we don't see him taking guys' belts off the table, disrespecting people, coming at guys at the press conference, getting in their faces, just because we don't see that anymore doesn't mean that Conor McGregor cannot be at the same level that he once was as a fighter. Like I said, well, I don't think we'll ever see the, the, the guy that we saw back in 2014, 15, 16, but I think we can see a more polished version of that if he can look at what he did wrong in that Poirier fight, make those adjustments, and go in with a night or with a patient, composed game plan and, and a measured game plan that doesn't put himself at too much of a risk with those leg kicks. You and I have talked about that yep. before. I think if he goes in there with the same mindset that he had going into the second fight with making the adjustments that I know that he will make with him and his team, I don't think there's any reason why we can't see McGregor go on somewhat of a run at lightweight over the mm -hmm. next couple of years. And I'd hope so, too. I mean, that would be massive for the sport in general because McGregor, I mean, he brought the national attention to the UFC in recent years that we've seen now. I mean, there's been other fighters, of course, but he is still arguably the biggest name in UFC. I mean, yeah, definitely. I mean, every Conor fight, no matter if he talks for trash or not, is always going to have the best, the best pay-per-view sells and all that. I mean, I think, I don't know. I, I think, uh, Conor, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> it's fine. In terms of numbers, nobody has given the, made the UFC more money than Conor McGregor yeah. and the UFC is a better place when Conor McGregor is active just because of all the attention he brings to the sport. No doubt. But I also think as the UFC continues to grow and as more people recognize how awesome of a sport it is, not only to the eyes, right? Because obviously fighting's eye candy, right? Everybody wants to watch two guys go at it, oh, two yeah. guys at a high level, you know, beat each other up. There's nothing better than that. Right. But... When I think when people start to recognize and appreciate the mentality and all the different pieces of a puzzle that have to come together for a fighter to be successful, I think once people understand and appreciate that more, you're going to see the UFC be as big as it is with Conor McGregor with other guys, with guys like Israel Adesanya, Kamaro Usman, um, you know... Alexander Volkanovsky, Max Holloway. I mean, these guys are big names that have accomplished some great things throughout their career. And once the UFC hits that main global stage, and it's getting there. We're, we're right here. Yeah. Oh, yeah, once no it, doubt. Once it hits that level, you're going to see a lot more. And I guarantee you, you guys will start to watch more of it, too, because I can tell you guys have already gotten more into it, you know, with, with me kind of, you know, telling talking about it and yeah. telling you guys about it so you know i think that's what it takes too there are very few people that you'll find around here that are into mma and it just takes one or two people to get the word out and eventually it's going to start spreading like wildfire man. it's it's crazy that you say that because i i literally just started getting into the ufc more when it was the cowboy counter fight mm -hmm. and the first full card that i watched was uh the Poirier and McGregor rematch we, we watched it at your house Joe and yeah. that was the first card I watched start to finish and it was literally just pure entertainment the entire time so mm -hmm. yeah I was I was into it when I was a kid uh because my dad is a big fan uh I used to watch like the original Ultimate Fighters and all that stuff those are the best yeah with uh Tito Ortiz and Chuck Liddell oh and man that stuff yeah you ever seen the uh 30 for 30 on ESPN plus do you have ESPN plus oh uh, I do uh, 
What's the 30 for 30? Chuck and Tito. Really? Yeah. They have one? I they didn't do. even know that. If you go on ESPN Plus, you check that out. I think it's like a little over an hour long. It's one of the it's one of the best, most entertaining <laughs> UFC documentaries I've ever watched <laughs> just because of how entertaining those guys were going up against each other. Yeah, those those were always interesting fights. Yeah, so I was, I was pretty big into it when I was a kid and stuff, but I kind of, uh, around like... 2013 to like 2015 16 a little bit i kind of like staged out of it a little bit but Mm -hmm. i've been getting back into it in like recent years i i i've always been a fan of it though i think it's one of the most exciting sports that people don't appreciate enough definitely um let's see that being said um so we've we've been talking about mcgregor poirier uh decent amount already um third fight predictions do you have any so far set in stone or this is a hard one for me brother i I gotta be honest with you um you know conor mcgregor is what got me into the ufc right yeah same here yeah i'll always have a a soft spot for mcgregor and and the thing about mma when you're a fan of mma it's an individualistic sport right so there are certain guys that I like that I always want to win. And, and I'll admit, you know, sometimes my bias and my like for a fighter gets in the way of me making a knowledgeable prediction. Yeah. Um, you know, so I thought that in the rematch, McGregor was going to beat him inside two rounds. While that wasn't a, a far out prediction because no. McGregor was the favorite, if all. I would have looked into it a bit more, you know, and you kind of look into the fighter that Dustin Poirier is and everything, you know, and the resume that he holds at 155 pounds, he's beaten guys, you know, at the, cr- the cream of the crop of the lightweight division. And there was no reason why Poirier couldn't have won that fight. And obviously he did. Um, you know, so for the third fight, my heart says Connor, Me right? Too. My, yeah. my heart and, and my head wants to say Connor as well. But right now, you know, we're what? It's Mar- April. We're three months out. My head says Dustin Poirier right now. Um, the Southpaw versus Southpaw matchup is very tricky for Connor McGregor. Mm-hmm. It's something that he hasn't seen a lot of over the course of his career. And Dustin Poirier was the first guy to ever exploit the hole that McGregor has in defending leg kicks. And, you know, Poirier talked about it. That was the game plan going into that fight. He was going to chop that lead leg because he knew, him and his coaches knew, that that he was going to be susceptible, Connor was going to be susceptible to those leg kicks. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was a beautifully executed game plan. And, you know, when you look at what went wrong on Connor's end, Connor is very, very heavy on his lead leg. Oh, yeah. Everything, all his power, the reason why he's able to generate that power so quickly and it looks so effortless is because he leans so heavily on that front leg. So he's already getting 50% of his power, you know, moving forward before he even starts throwing his punch. When you're heavy on that lead leg and someone's chopping at that calf, it's not going to be long before you can't move on that leg anymore, right? Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what happened to Connor. Connor just couldn't move. Yeah, you're, you're not going to want to put any weight on that leg after a while. No, like, and we, I mean, he was literally limping. You could barely yeah. walk. He I, had crutches. He left the arena the on crutches. Yeah. yeah. The longer the longer that fight went on, the more it would have been he would have been exploited. Like, obvi- of course, obviously. But I think Poirier kind of started to figure him out in the beginning, in the middle of the second round or so. He kind of... Even before could, that, I yeah, think. Yeah, you could oh, tell. Yeah. You could tell he was starting to counter everything he was doing. And you could tell, too, what threw Connor off was that takedown in the first round mm-hmm. that Poirier got. Yeah. That takedown wasn't meant to finish the fight. He wasn't looking to submit 
Connor, you know, in the first yeah. round, even though he, he would have if he had the opportunity, but he wasn't looking for that. He was looking to show Connor that, hey, there are other aspects to this fight. I'm not just going to stand here and, and trade punches with yeah. you because I am smart enough to know the danger that's coming back my way. Mm-hmm. And Dustin Poirier is one of the best fighters in the UFC at weathering storms. And he took some hard shots from Connor in that first yeah. round, some shots that have put other people, you know, on their butts and ended the night. Mm-hmm. Poirier just walked right through him. And I think once he realized that he was able to take McGregor's best shots, that just gave him the confidence that he needed to go out there in the second round and get the job done. He looks so much more loose the second round. He put his confidence in himself, his abilities, and his coaches. And sometimes that's what you got to do in an MMA fight. And it's interesting because I, like, after the first round, I'm like, I thought McGregor won that round. I think he he, he, he handedly won that round. I think, I think. What I said was the longer the fight goes on, it's more in Poirier's favor because Connor's such an explosive fighter, especially in early in fights. Mm-hmm. You just kind of gotta you gotta escape that and, like you said, weather the storm because yep. there's gonna be a storm most of the time when you fight Connor, especially in the first round. But you just gotta you just gotta learn the fight past that, and once the fight goes on, you'll be able to start picking up on things. And I remember we noticed those leg kicks. I just didn't think yeah. it would take him out that early in the fight. I thought maybe like third, fourth round that that leg would really start going, but it was crazy. Like I mean, how many how many did he land? Like somewhere in the mid teens, uh, low low twenties? Close to I think twenties. I will look it up for you right now. Okay, but what perfect. I will say is that calf kicks have become very prominent in MMA over the past couple years. Mm-hmm. And it's a strike that it's honestly one of my favorite strikes in the sport. Some people will tell you that they should be banned, you know, they're too lethal. I, I don't agree with that at all. I, don't I think that if it's a strike that is able to be defended, it should be legal. And it is able to be And defended. it is able to be defended. Just right. because, you know, people haven't really, or fighters haven't been able to figure out, you know, a clear-cut, effective defense to the kick doesn't mean that, you know, fighters shouldn't be able to throw it, but it has a significant impact. I mean, it hasn't just been the Connor fight. I mean, there was a fight, uh, it was like a month ago, between Bantamweights, Pedro Munoz and Jimmy Rivera. And, um, you know, Pedro Munoz just battered Rivera's leg, battered his leg, you know, for three rounds. And the guy couldn't walk at the end of the fight. It's just crazy what leg kicks can do to you, do to your opponent. They're my favorite strike in the sport. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I think uh, leg kicks are so like underrated, honestly, like because for guys who don't have like that, maybe like crazy knockout power it gives you like some sort of advantage to wear a guy down who maybe has more power than you you know what i mean it gives your opponent something else to think about right because you know obviously you're mostly going to be worried about everything that's coming to your head your face right because that's the stuff that's going to put your lights out right so when you got a guy who's in there standing in front of you consistently chopping at your lead leg or, or whatever leg it is it's very ment- it's tedious mentally because you have to change your game plan and center it around defending the kicks first before you can attack. Mm-hmm. Because like we saw in the McGregor fight, it, it doesn't take too many of those no. or it doesn't take long yeah. for those things to have an effect on you. Yeah. yeah. And you're testing someone's mental mental strength too also because after a while like that's that can't feel good and you no. might and you it might see like you- you could almost see it on Connor's face, like his attitude shifting in the second round when he knew that leg was giving out. Yeah, it, 
yeah, you're, I mean, it's just, it's got to be so demoralizing after a while when you just can't move the way you want to and you're just kind of a lot more stationary than you'd like. And another thing is, I, I feel like the normal fan, like the typical fan that's watching the fight doesn't realize how like powerful that can be because like you said, it's not a, it's not a punch, like it's not a knockout, it's not flashy, but like over time you're chipping away and it still is pretty quickly that it's happening it's like a it's kind of like a body shot in boxing it's not yeah. what you like want to see but it'll wear the like that, and it could fold boxers like there's there's been multiple boxers even in recent years that knock people out with body shots so it's yeah. like exactly and there are so many well first of all i just want to want to say that dustin poirier landed 18 of 21 leg kicks on conor mcgregor that's insane. within two rounds um like i said once he figured out that that was a hole that was able to be exploited in conor's game he he took advantage of it mm -hmm. um and there are so many variations to leg kicks too that's the other thing um john jones throws probably my favorite kick in mma <laughs> me too and me too. you know what i'm talking yes. about uh it's called the oblique kick <laughs> and he takes the back leg and basically just pushes his foot right into your knee. Mm -hmm. Basically just stops you in your tracks. And I want to point out <laughs> that John Jones threw a lot of those in his fight with Tiago Santos back in 2019. Mm -hmm. Tiago Santos, I don't know if you guys knew what happened, know what happened after that fight. Both of his knees, he tore his MCL, ACL, UCL, his knees. He had to have surgery on both of them. Kicks can be detrimental, and Tiago Santos <laughs> has lost both of his fights since coming back from that one. Yeah. So, you know, leg kicks can literally be career-altering, mm -hmm. and oh, yeah. as they become, especially the calf kicks and the oblique kicks and the, you know, spinning side kicks, you know, th there's a bunch of different variations, like I said. Right. As fighters learn to use more of these kicks and recognize that, you know, how well that these kicks can bode for them... I think you're just going to see more fighters implement leg kicks even more than than punches and head kicks. Sometimes. As well, they should though. I mean, yeah. clearly it's effective. It's if it's executed properly. So since we're on the topic of John Jones, uh, where what's your temperature on the? I've seen I've seen some of your tweets on Twitter. Uh, what's your temperature on like him fighting sometime in 2021? Whether whether or not the opponents anyone. Are you asking me? Like, like do you think that what are the chances that he fights in 2021? I think the chances of him fighting in 2021 are very slim right now. Um, I said this on my podcast after UFC 260, and you know I knew it right from when the fight ended. And I, I kind of thought this was going to happen; they were going it was going to go this direction, um, you know, before the fight. Just the things that John Jones was saying. But I think that John Jones, I, I, I'm 90% sure that John Jones is in the midst of pricing himself out with the UFC right now. He asked for, you know, on Twitter at least, somewhere around 8 to $10 million just to fight Francis Ngannou. Which isn't happening. And that's absolutely <laughs> absurd. You know, yeah. this isn't the MLB, you know, which has been around for over 100 years, or the NBA, the NFL, where, um, you know, I can pay these guys ridiculous amounts of money. Conor McGregor doesn't even get paid close right. to that amount of money to yeah, fight. Probably half, honestly. Right. You know, maybe even less than that. Yeah. So um, when I look at John Jones and, and what he's doing, I have to say that I respect it because he is a guy that has been at the top of the UFC for 10 years now. Yep. The youngest champion in UFC history. He's beaten the upper echelon of the light heavyweight division. Everybody that the UFC has ever put in front of him, he has taken or he has beaten. Yep. So I get asking for, you know, a significant amount of money. 
But also, if I'm John Jones, I have to recognize that. And if I'm Francis Ngannou, you know, because Francis Ngannou, I don't want him to wait in the wings, you know, for for John Jones to you know figure things out with the UFC. Right, that, it that could, could be, be a months. while. It could, it could be a year. Yeah. You know, um, so I do not think that John Jones will be fighting this year because his next fight has to be for the heavyweight title. Mm-hmm. He said he's moving up to that weight class. I don't see him going back down to 205 no, pounds. He, he looks like he's at heavyweight right now. Absolutely. <laughs> um, and he's documented on a podcast a couple days ago, and I actually just watched the video today, him saying that he will not, you know, he doesn't want to fight for the UFC if it's not for the amount of money that he wants. So. That's either a bargaining chip or he really means that and he's not going to take anything less. And I think it's the latter half. I really do. And Dana's not going to overpay John Jones because, quite frankly, he doesn't need John Jones. No. Um, I mean, they're both very stingy people, as yeah. we've been seeing. Um, it was funny seeing the uh, the April Fool's Day tweets between them. <laughs> I was like, because I did believe it for a little bit. We were sending in our group chat. I'm like, yeah. the unreal, man. It's I, like my buddy clay believed it the one that i did the podcast with yeah he was like did you see like dana and, and john jones they they had dinner and i'm like dude did you not see like the four or five tweets he tweeted after that yeah he's like, hope everyone had a great april fool and he's and like I'm, it's still 11:52 where i'm at or yeah, something yeah and dana's like, in I'm vegas like, he's not in albuquerque yeah, dana so. replied to the tweet dude that's what kind of sold me a little bit that's what sold him i know that yeah because i'm like i'm like dana i don't know if he'd go along with the joke but <laughs> eh, dana will play into yeah. it just yeah. just to get some clicks you know I, oh yeah john jones has been my favorite fighter for like ever so i i'm praying that like he's just he's just trying to use it as leverage but i don't i don't know i mean i feel like I mean, he's just—he's got to fight eventually, right? I, I know, I know. He seems like he really does seem like the type of guy who he'll just walk away. Like he'll just be like, oh, whatever, I guess. I think he could. I I don't think he would have any problem walking away right now. He has nothing to prove. I was literally about to say, what does he have left to prove? Honestly, I would say the only thing he has left to prove the heavyweight thing is the heavyweight thing because he's been talking about going up to heavyweight for years now, Mm -hmm. and it's never came to fruition. Him and Kane, I wanted to see forever, but it just never came. Oh, there were so many intriguing fights for him up at heavyweight, but I just think you know the light heavyweight division really got to a point where he had beaten everybody, and there was really no interest for him down there. Um, The only fight that I could see him taking down there is the Jan Blahovich fight. He's never fought uh, Blahovich, and that'd be an interesting fight but yeah, i think he would kind of outclass him though i'm not gonna lie. oh definitely yeah. i think john jones would beat jan blahovich pretty handedly mm-hmm. um but i agree that it would be a tragedy if he did not fight soon because or in 2021 or 2022 because he spent the entire pandemic bulking himself up to get yeah. his exactly. body ready yeah. for heavyweight and you can't just be like eh Nah, I'm not, never mind. I'm done. You know, I'm not getting the money I want. I'm just going to dip. Yeah, you you exactly. can't really do that. And by the way, it's pretty ridiculous how much weight he just put on like that. He looks he looks huge now. Oh, my God. He's been <laughs> eating his cheeseburgers, man. I know. <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> he was a stick for the long... Not like a stick. He was obviously a pretty his, bulky his dude. His legs but. are... You know, they, his legs were sticks. That's why yeah. I never knew how, how he could... You know, <laughs> his legs are just so long, and that's how his leg kicks I mean, are, are so, you know, devastating because yeah. he can I, throw them in so many different angles. I guess it runs in the family because his brothers are obviously nfl players but man i didn't think i didn't think he had it in him to just bulk up to 230 just like yeah i'm here like <laughs> that jones family's got some different genes man. oh yeah oh my god <laughs> the brother the other brothers in the nfl too yeah, yeah chandler and arthur yep 
Yeah. Chandler's been good for a while. Yeah, like, Chandler's he's really a monster. good. Yeah. yeah. And Arthur, I think, won a Super Bowl with the Patriots. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> that's a pretty successful family, yeah. if you ask me. <laughs> imagine being that you win a Super Bowl, you're the less the least successful brother in a family. It's My, like, imagine <laughs> being their parents. They haven't had to work since, you know, John was <laughs> literally five yeah. years old. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. I mean, I don't know. And say what you want, like John Jones is thirty three, so you could argue that he's like right in his prime, but the window is Towards closing. The end of it, you know what sure. I mean? Yeah, I I just hope it's I don't know I I don't want to say it he I don't want him to go out like Anderson Silva by any means but I think he's I think he's better than Anderson Silva was in his prime. I anyway, mean, so. you oh yeah, is just he the I'd Anderson say he's the undisputed his, UFC goat. I I'd do you say think? so, but I mean I think there's an argument for like a Khabib or something like That's that. That's true. But I don't I I I mean in my opinion I think so, but I hate the goat conversation because of the weight classes and yeah stuff, or what? because of weight classes and because everybody's going to have a different answer right, you talk yeah. goat of basketball 90 percent of people are going to tell you jordan or lebron mm-hmm. right you ask 150 ufc fans you're going to get silva john jones habib gsp demetrius johnson everybody has their <laughs> own <laughs> uh, he fights tonight actually i, I know and uh, i'm excited for that one it's on tnt i'm gonna be it's, you can watch that for free yeah uh eddie alvarez is actually fighting tonight too. really the guy that connor beat up <laughs> yeah. for, for the lightweight belt yeah, yeah he's fighting tonight oh, too poor Who's eddie that guy? um <laughs> exactly <laughs> but anyways um yeah i don't like the goat conversation but i do think in terms of like resume and in terms of all around skill Mm -hmm. it's very hard for me to say that john jones isn't the greatest mixed martial artist of all time Mm -hmm. yeah am i gonna say that he's the greatest fighter of all time that's fair no because to me i don't think that you can be considered the greatest of all time if you have succeeded by cheating now i'm not saying that john jones would have I don't don't get mad at me over here, Joey. <laughs> I mean, the dude cheated, so sorry, you know. I mean, you yeah, put yeah. you, put, you put steroids in your body. That tells me one that you don't have the mental strength to make it to where you want to be, and number two, you don't feel confident enough in your ability to go out there and get the job done. That's why people take steroids. Mm-hmm. So. I will never, you know, like I'll never consider Barry Bonds like a top five, you know, greatest hitter of all time because he took steroids. And that's a matter of opinion, not saying that you. your opinion is yeah, wrong. Yeah. I, but I respect your opinion. It's yeah. just my opinion. I got it. That's I, a fair point. I, I mean, I he put a, he put himself in that position. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sit and defend what he did, obviously. But I mean, I I mean, I I respect that you said he's the greatest martial artist, though. I mean, I'll I'll take that. That's, you can't that's deny that. Yeah, exactly. Um, and the thing is, is like. I'll always respect any person who walks into an octagon and, and and willingly locks a cage door behind him and another man, knowing the dangers that surround a mixed martial oh, arts yeah. fight. Yeah. But I just have a hard time respecting cheaters, you know. Yeah, um, and I think, like I said, it's a matter of opinion, um, and I respect everything that John Jones has accomplished because. You know, nothing can be taken away from John Jones, you know, becoming the youngest champion in UFC history, going mm-hmm. on the run that, that he's gone on. There's no denying that. Um, but I will never put him number one as the greatest, quote unquote, fighter of all time. Okay, that's fair. Uh, I mean, do you think that he would ever fight Reyes again? No. 
No. John Jones will never fight Dominic Reyes. Just because again. of how close it was, or that, and you know, if the rematch was going to happen, it should have happened a couple months after the first it, fight yeah. happened. No reason to do that fight right now. You know, Dominic Reyes has lost a fight since then. Yeah. yeah. Um, he has another fight coming up. I think in I think it's May first. He's yeah. the main event of. Um, but no, you know, and like you said, it was a very very close fight, and that was a that was a hard fight for John. He barely yeah. got past that one. No reason for him to go i don't think he's ever going back down to 205 pounds to, yeah. to begin with that's the only reason i asked is just for the excitement factor and how close that first one was i would just want to see that that run it back but i mean what do you what do you think the chances of an izzy fight ever happening i mean i know we just talked about him maybe never fighting again but i mean how, how do you think that would go if it did i'll put it that way how do I think it would go? Um, I'll tell you this. Um, for the record, Israel Adesanya is my favorite fighter, and yeah. I'm actually proud of myself to be able to say this without bias towards Adesanya. Okay. Before the Jan Blachowicz fight, I thought that if Adesanya versus John Jones were to fight, Adesanya would be able to outclass him on the feet. Knowing what I know now, and recognizing the body of work that John Jones has put in over the course of his career mm -hmm. against seasoned strikers, maybe not as crafty as Adesanya, but I think John Jones would be able to handle Israel Adesanya over the course of five rounds. I don't think he would finish him. Adesanya is very durable and he's elusive, yeah. but I definitely see a scenario where John Jones would get Adesanya to the floor, wear him out up against the cage, and, and win a comfortable decision over him. Now, do you think I, that's a size factor or a skill factor? I think it's a size factor. Okay. Um, Israel Adesanya skill for skill is a top three fighter in yeah, the UFC. So you, think, you think the gap between Jones and Adesanya is, is that close, so it really wouldn't make that much of a difference? Yeah, I don't think okay. there's much of a gap. Um, you know, I think John Jones has the better overall well-rounded game. But, you know, when I look at Israel Adesanya, he's a generational talent in terms of, of striking and not just in MMA. I mean, a 75 and five record in kickboxing. <laughs> I mean, no he joke, had, yeah. you know, he had something like a 10 and one record in boxing. You know, the, the, yeah. the guy has been and, and those are some of those wins have come at heavyweight, have come at light heavyweight. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's not that Adesanya can't compete on yeah. the feet with these guys at 205 pounds and at heavyweight. But I think when you bring in the wrestling and grappling yeah. aspect into mixed martial arts, I think Adesanya underestimated Jan Blachowicz's weight and the yeah. the impact that that size difference would have They're, on yeah, the fight. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I think since Jones is probably, I'd say Jones is a little more skilled on the ground. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, way more skilled yeah, yeah. on the ground than yeah, Adesanya? Definitely. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah and... Uh, he, since with that and just the size factor, I think he would just wear him down. I don't even think he would submit him or anything like that. I think he would just purely just not. I mean, I hope the fight wouldn't go this way because I feel like it would be a little bit of a snooze fest. But you know, that's I think that's what how it would go. I think a John Jones yeah. versus Israel Adesanya would be a very very measured chess match. Yeah, very methodical. Because Adesanya is very dangerous. Yeah, uh, you know, not only in the striking realm. Yeah. But his takedown defense, I mean, his takedown defense is like, I think after the Blahovich fight, it's still over 80%. His first fight in the UFC, he defended like 12 of 15 takedowns, um, you know, so, and he's consistently defended takedowns over the course of his career. Yeah. But when you make that jump in weight, especially because think about it, when Connor made the jump in weight, 
that's 145 to 155. Yeah. It's 10 pounds. Yeah, it's whatever, yeah. You go to 185 to 205, that's <laughs> 20 pounds. Yeah. Plus, right? Yeah. So Jan Blahovich probably weighed 220 yeah. on fight night. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Adesanya probably weighed right around 200. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, definitely a, he's lucky to be 205 for that fight, honestly. Yeah. Right, exactly. So it's an interesting fight, and I think before the Blahovich fight, it was one of the biggest fights that the UFC could have made. Yeah, but at this point, I I don't see that fight coming you, together in the yeah. near future. Yeah, I especially when you can match length for length with the weight the weight differential, it would be kind of it would be kind of unfair. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I don't know. I don't think it would happen anyway. To be honest with you, I mean, it would be smart for Izzy to take it just for the popularity aspect. I think. I mean, even though he's like obviously really popular now, but that would be like huge. That would that would be one of the biggest fights in history. I think, I think it would be one of the. I think both of them would be dumb not to take that fight if it was on the table. That's true. That's true. You know, they've talked so much trash to each other, you know, with interviews and over social media. I mean, the buildup to that fight would be incredible. If Izzy wins that last fight, does John take that right away, do you think? Or what do you think? That's a very interesting question. Mm -hmm. I think he still still asks for more than his means. Mm Mm-hmm. I agree with that. He would have asked yeah. for a ton of money. Probably would have um, asked for 10 easily, honestly. Yeah, maybe a which little. Is not, which is too much. but <laughs> I think it would have been easier to get John Jones to take an Israel Adesanya fight than it will be for him to take a Francis Ngannou That's fight. True. Oh, yeah. The risks, you know, the, the, the difference in risks, you know, it's incre- the gap is incredible. Oh, because yeah. Because I don't think Adesanya would finish John Jones. You know, no. if I were to predict, I would predict Adesanya by decision if I were to take him to win that fight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. But I don't – John Jones would have jumped on the opportunity if it was offered to him. But the flip side of that is would he really want to gain all that weight and then go back down? Right. You know, so yeah. it's kind of a hard question to answer because we don't know, yeah. right? Yeah, but it's I could a very have big what if. Right. I definitely could have seen him, you know, flirting with the perspective or with the idea of it. Especially because, I mean, Izzy's a top – you could say top – five top three like name in the sport right now yeah, I'd top say. five draw easily yeah, in terms no of doubt. active fighters definitely i'd say i'd say top two honestly yeah i i mean and you know that loss it, there are a lot of people that like to write fighters off after a loss and yeah. the fact of the matter is adesanya came out of that fight unscathed it's not like he lost yes he lost the fight but he didn't get you know, demolished. He yeah, didn't get yeah. beat up. You know, he got out wrestled by a guy a lot heavier than him. Yeah. And a lot of people, I guarantee you, are going to underestimate him going into his next fight at 185 pounds. <laughs> and I actually think that we may see the best version of Israel Adesanya yeah. that we've ever seen. I mean, he still fight. has a belt right now. Yeah. It's like he did. I don't really think that last fight does that much to his legacy, no. if anything. I think. I, I feel like a lot of people are going to forget that he's the man at 185. Like, he's the guy. But then, like, they don't realize that he fought 20 pounds heavier last fight. So, it's it's going to be kind of funny to see. And he got handled, but someone. like you said, he held his own. He was able to take the fight the distance. Not, it's not like he got knocked oh, out no. or anything. So. Yeah. I mean, he clearly lost, don't get me wrong, yeah. but it he definitely, like, didn't look like he was out of his element, you know what I mean? Like, he, he just, he someone, he was just bigger than him. <laughs> it, it was a tough fight, and yeah. Jan Blahovic, you know, we have to give Jan Blahovic the credit he deserves, no oh, yeah. as opposed to being like, okay, Adesanya is not as good as, you know, we thought or he has shown to be in exactly. the past, right. because fact of the matter is, 
Jan Blachowicz, I think Jan Blachowicz won. Israel Adesanya didn't lose that fight. Jan Blachowicz won that fight, if yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, he came out with a great game plan. He knew what to exploit because he was lighter. He he knew that he should be able to outlast him because he's at his normal weight and he's not as and Israel's obviously heavier than he usually is. So, I mean, it's just credit to him and his coaching. Yeah, no doubt. And and we've been talking what ifs. Um, I mean, Khabib said multiple times that he's retired. Do you? Do you really think he's done, or do you see any slight chance of him possibly coming back? I think he's been done since October. Yeah. Um, he has been done so- since October. He's you know, told many media platforms that he's been done. Mm-hmm. Um, and, he- and here's the difference between Habib and, and you know, a guy like Henry Cejudo. Habib is retired, but he still trains like he's fighting. Mm-hmm. He's a coach, but he still trains every single day. You know, coaches his fighters to the max, spars with them, rolls with them, wrestles with them. He does all that stuff. And I think that Habib is the kind of guy that is perfectly content with walking away uh, or with walking away from the sport at this point in his life, especially with his father passing away. I mean, that was his patriarch. That was the yeah. guy who made him who or turned him into who he is or was when he was still fighting. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it will take something very, very big to get Habib out of retirement. I don't think it happens this year. I don't think it happens next year. But say, for example, Conor McGregor beats Dustin Poirier, goes out and, and beats the winner of Chandler and Oliveira, wins the belt. If I'm Habib, okay, and I'm looking at that, Conor, you know he's going to be he's gonna be chirping at the bits. Especially if he goes on like a, a run. Yeah, it's, that'll, that'll light the oh, yeah. fire under him like he had like five years ago, you know? Oh, yeah, definitely. And here's I, the thing. I think Habib beats Conor 10 times out of 10. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I don't I think agree. that fight goes any differently no I, matter when it happens. Yeah. I think he beats anyone in that class 10 times out of 10. No, Absolutely. Maybe, I mean, like he maybe he loses like one, not yeah. nine out of 10 out yeah. of someone, but he basically 10 times out Freak of 10. Thing. I get what you're saying. <laughs> I mean, you look at the guy's dominance, and I actually, I, I, I picked Gaethje to beat him. I just thought Gaethje had the, the style. Style, yes. The the for lack of a better way of putting it, the unorthodox, crazier style to catch Habib off guard with something. Yeah. But Habib showed in that fight that he's also a much better striker than people gave him credit for. Yeah, I yeah. mean, he kind of outstruck Gaethje in that first round yeah I think people never really like even thought about it because he never had to <laughs> honestly right, it, was, exactly. it was to the ground so quickly no one even like had a yeah. chance to think about him throwing a punch and Habib's you know top three greatest of all time I hate the goat conversation but if I had to do it in terms of skill and dominance you have to put Habib up there and I would actually rank I mean in terms of you know I talked about the difference between being a martial you know the greatest martial artist of all time and, and one of the greatest fighters of all time I'll say this very loosely that I would probably say Habib Nurmagomedov, and this may be recency bias, but may be the greatest fighter of all time. I'd say most dominant in like just throughout his fights. I mean, has he Could even, be. he hasn't been even challenged. I wouldn't nah, say challenged, but like hasn't there really hasn't been, been scares. Much, there no. hasn't been any scares in fights. Really. He's lost really. two rounds in his career. That's insane. It's incredible. Yeah, exactly. Actually insane. Yeah, I mean, and he's faced everyone you put against him. He's not going to. Yeah, it's not he, like he shies away from fights or anything. Never. So. That, yeah. I mean, uh, I think I think we should talk about. I have I have one fight that's upcoming in May that I, I want to ask you about. Uh, the Chandler and Oliveira fight. That's a great. Are you asking me what yeah. my prediction for that fight? Well, like, just how do you think how do you think it'll play out? 
So Oliveira is one of the most underrated lightweights in the UFC. Uh-huh. Um, he's a top five guy. He's on an eight-fight win streak now, and he has added so many tools to his game over the years. He uh-huh. has always been an incredibly polished submission artist. But the knock on him was whenever the fight ended up on the feet, he would kind of curl up and get overwhelmed. And he's got, you know, in those scenarios, he's gotten finished multiple times. Oliveira recognized that, went to his team, trained the things that he needed to train. And that's why he is in the position. That's why he's in the undisputed title fight, because he deserves it. The way he beat Tony Ferguson, um, you know, just the way that he beat, uh, what's his name, Kevin Lee in the fight before that. Those are both tough fights for him. And he persevered through some, you know, he like we talked about before, he weathered the storm and got through those fights to win them dominantly. On the other hand, you have Michael Chandler, who, yes, he's Electric. only had one fight in the UFC, but he talks about it all the time. He has over 12 years of experience in mixed martial arts, you know, training with top guys at the highest of level. Yeah, Yeah. maybe he hasn't been in the UFC, but this guy, you know, has proven to be able to perform at a high level in mixed martial arts for quite some time now. And there's also something to be said about momentum. He has a hell of a lot of momentum and a hell of a lot of confidence coming into this fight. His post-fight interview, you know, <laughs> after beating Dan Hooker was incredible. I mean, one of yeah. the greatest promo cuts in UFC history. And he has done everything right since coming to yeah. the UFC. He's a company Definitely. man. He takes the fights that are given to him. You know, he never turns anything down. He wants to fight consistently he wanted to fight um after he be he wanted to fight in february yeah he wanted to fight Oliveira on the february card Oliveira <laughs> turned that one down um but but to make my prediction for the fight both guys are so diverse in their styles um you know chandler i won't say diverse they both thrive off of pressure but Oliveira is a guy who's gonna he's not gonna get you out of there with one shot he's going to accrue damage over the course of a fight yeah. and wear on you. Pepper so, you a bit, yeah. Right. So by the end of the fight, you're like, huh, you know, I've lost this one. You know, Tony Ferguson, he knew he lost it in the third round. Michael Chandler, nobody's put out Dan Hooker like that. That's 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 what impressed me so you much. Know? When I, I wasn't really sure what to expect from him, obviously. But when he came in and got in so, like, with the reach advantage, I wasn't really sure how the fight would play out because – I mean, you look at Hooker, and then you look at Chandler, and I mean, the size difference is pretty sizable, obviously. I thought he was going to get outclassed. Yeah, I I wasn't sure what to really expect, and he for him to get in the, get in there like that, and his striking just impressed me so much. Like he was so explosive with the way he came out. Uh, Ethan was the test of this too. I was really impressed with him. I thought, oh yeah, I thought that he should fight Gaethje or something like that next. But I mean, Oliveira, I mean, that's that's no slouch, obviously. I I don't know, I. I, I think it's going to be a great fight, though, honestly. It's going to be a fantastic fight. Um, you know, and it's it's kind of going to be a matter of which guy can impose their will on the other and get the better of that other guy before yeah. the other one gains momentum and gets in their flow. Yeah. And with that being said, I think Charles Oliveira, he's a guy that if he's not flowing, you know, if he has to face adversity – He's proven before in his career that he's crumbled through adversity. Yeah. 
And Michael Chandler is one of those guys who isn't, he's very durable. He isn't going to shy away from a firefight. And I think that he's going to come out, walk Charles Oliveira right down from the minute the bell rings. And I could definitely see Chandler finishing Oliveira in like the third or the fourth round. Yeah. Chandler can match him wrestling wise. I think he has more knockout power than Oliveira. Oh, yeah, definitely. And while Oliveira is a more diverse martial artist, Chandler is so good at the simple things. Yeah. You know, setting things up with feints. For example, the way that he went to the body and came over the top with that shot that dropped Hooker. I mean, that that is picture perfect yes, stuff. Exactly. You know, that that stuff that you that you have to train and drill it and almost has to become like second nature to be able to set those things up yeah um that's something only a seasoned vet would do exactly and for chandler to be able to go in there in his ufc debut and do that against a, a veteran and dan hooker and a top five guy leads me to believe that Charles Oliveira is going to have some problems, not only with the pressure, but also the confidence and the momentum and the aura that Michael Chandler brings to the table. Exactly. I I definitely have Chandler winning that fight. And then we also have uh, Leon Edwards, Nate Diaz coming up. Um, I don't know. I'd say Diaz is one of my favorite fighters. I, he's he's a fan favorite. You know, like I'd argue also the UFC is better when he's an active yeah, fighter. I feel like know? he's one of those guys. Either you love him or you hate him. Yeah, and you know, for me, I love the guy. Yeah. I have oh, like three no posters of him in my room. I have a picture of him choking out McGregor. You know, in their first fight. <laughs> yeah, I'm all in on Nate Diaz, yeah. and let me tell you, I will be rooting for him with all my heart at 262. Yeah. It's history. First non-title five-round fight, co-main event. But I don't think he's going to win. I think <laughs> Leon Edwards is going to go in there and beat him handedly. Nate Diaz is at a point in his career, and I hate to use this connotation, but he is a journeyman. And I don't... Oh, yeah. I'm not necessarily using that connotation negatively. You know, you have to be skilled and have a certain amount of charisma and name equity to yeah. you to be able to, to still get, be relevant. you know, think about the things that he's done the past couple of years. The UFC had a belt made because he wanted the belt made yeah. a $50,000 belt. <laughs> yeah. This guy holds a lot of name equity and holds a lot of stock within the UFC. And you're right, Ethan, the UFC is a better place when Nate Diaz is active and no fighting. Doubt. Yeah, yeah, no definitely. doubt. And he's just his fights are like some of the most exciting fights you can ever see because he just he's relentless. You know they're going to be entertaining every the, time. He might have the he might have one of the best chins we've ever seen. Oh my god! And <laughs> he could, and then he just and has the, the in-fight most antics and just yeah. and he has the most cardio. At, like I, I mean, I've never seen him get tired. Like he. <laughs> He fit, like it's physically impossible. I feel like at this point for him to ever get tired. It's almost like <laughs> Nate Diaz has to get beat up a little bit before he can get going. You know, <laughs> yeah, like seriously. he starts and he's like, "All right, come on, hit me a couple times so I can wake up, and yeah. then I'm gonna come at you." You know, he's, yeah, he's one of those guys that like hit me, just yeah. hit me so I can get mad, and then, <laughs> and then he all of a sudden just turns into like some sort of maniac, like he's just like out of his mind. <laughs> There's no forgiveness in this sport, man. It's <laughs> it's a crazy, crazy, grueling yeah. sport. Him and his brother Nick have been exciting for a while. I mean, Nick obviously has been out of it for a bit. But yeah, there, Nick's never there was, coming back. There was a video yeah. of him talking about a comeback recently. I forgot. Who they were promoting some fight yeah. or something? I'm yeah. like, I don't, I, was, I don't see. That I was always happening. a fan of Nick, though. I, I don't know. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, no, I love both of them for sure. There's nothing better than the Diaz brothers. Yeah, I mean, they're exactly. storied. I mean, the slaps, the yeah, in-fight slaps, I mean, like they're so both unorthodox. Guys. Man. <laughs> they're, they're 
legendary. It's I mean, that's what I would even put them at. Pure entertainment. It's awesome to see them fight, honestly. Yeah. So, but let me tell you, if Nate Diaz wins, the UFC is going to become, or the UFC's welterweight division is going to become very, very, very fun. Oh, yeah. Because Nate Diaz, if he wins, he's going to be able to make the UFC a heck of a lot of money. Oh, yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. No doubt. Then he can start getting big-time fights again with, like, with, like justifiable big-time Leon fights, Edwards you know? is a top three guy. If exactly. he beats a number three guy in the world, he can fight a top. It's justified, like you exactly. said. Exactly. Because, I mean, if you give him that fight, then other other contenders are going to complain because it's like, why does this guy deserve it? But then if he beats Leon, then it's just like you can you can give a reason for it. Exactly. You so. guys get it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. And then, like, the whole eyebrow thing with Masvidal, it's like, I don't know, man. It's just it's frustrating to see that cut keep opening up. Yeah, and I'm glad that he's taken over a year off to let that heal, yeah. um, especially because a lot of the damage – or a lot of the shots that he's going to see from Leon Edwards, you know, Nate Diaz is a southpaw, and so is Leon Edwards. Mm-hmm. So the high kicks, the straight lefts, they're all going to be coming right towards that eye. So yeah. Nate needs to do, in my opinion, you know, and talking as though, you know, a fan of him that wants to win the fight, he has to understand that said that he likes getting hit. He has to, he can't get hit too much early in this fight because Leon has the ability to put him out, even though I don't think it will happen. Right. If he opens up that cut and that blood starts trickling into that eye, I don't want to see another Nate Diaz fight be stopped by a doctor. It's just so unfortunate, yeah. you know? It's like... Yeah, because we know he's not going to get finished, usually. I mean, no, I, I, no he's not going to get finished. So. Yeah. I it, mean, if he's getting finished, you have to put him to sleep. <laughs> he's never going to shy away. He's I never going to quit. He yeah, will die exactly. in that ring, like, <laughs> seriously. <laughs> and I respect it, man. Yeah. You know? It's it's awesome to see. It's <laughs> he like, shed a lot of blood for the UFC. Oh, yeah. and, and the most, maybe, out of it, any fighter him ever. Him and Clay Guida are fighting for most bloodshed, for sure. So. <laughs> Clay Guida, I love that guy, <laughs> man. Yeah, for real. What's his nickname? The... Uh, Man, I forget. The, no, um, I don't know, but I, I don't think I've ever seen a Clay Guida fight without blood. So, <laughs> oh, that's gonna bug me. <laughs> he's he's one of my all time favorites. I, like he's just the most exciting guy ever. <laughs> I mean, we also have Masvidal Usman at the end of this month. Um, yeah. Excited for that one. Yeah. 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 Um, I think Usman. You know, Masvidal. I think it, he'll make it a little more exciting than the first one was just because mm-hmm. he, you know, has had more time to cut the weight and prepare his body for a five-round championship fight against Kamaru Usman. Um, but I think Usman takes that fight pretty handedly. I yeah, think he's exactly. going to – I actually think that he's going to give Masvidal something to worry about on the feet. Uh, over the past year or so now, he's been working with one of the best striking coaches in the game, Trevor Whitman, out in Colorado – who, you know, is Rose Namajunas' coach, Justin Gaethje's coach. So, you know, they have striking down over there to a T. And Usman's striking has improved significantly. We saw it in the Gilbert Burns fight. He wasn't putting guys out like that, you know, before the Colby and the Burns fights. So I think you're going to see Usman dip into a deeper bag of tricks than he did in the first fight back at 251 just because he feels more confident in himself and his abilities overall as a martial artist mm-hmm. yeah, yeah no doubt. i think so i think usman's definitely just more skilled than masvidal honestly masvidal's always got that excitement factor though and he's I th- i'd always give him a chance for a knockout oh yeah course, so. always i mean there's always that, that that's the crazy part about mma right there's always that chance for a yeah. one punch knockout the puncher's yeah. chance yep. or a knee in masvidal's case yeah that's true no doubt um let's see what else do we have coming up is there any other really big name fights i mean 
Uh, I mean, we've, we've talked like about the, a lot. You not know? in the next like month or so. Yeah, maybe. I mean, you know, the, the summer's shaping up to be exciting for the UFC. Um, you know, looking down, we have Usman Masvidal. Mm-hmm. Then you have the Oliveira and Gaethje, or sorry, Oliveira and Chandler with Nate. Then after that, you have the rematch between Brandon Moreno and Davidson Figueredo. They actually announced a couple days ago that they opened the door ever so slightly on Francis Ngannou versus Derek Lewis being put on that June 12th card. From what I hear, <laughs> the timing doesn't really work out for Francis Ngannou, but I'm not closing the door on that just yet. I think if they paid them the right amount of money and gave them that main event slot, which they obviously would, they could get that deal done. Then you got Connor and Poirier right after that. Um, and then August, you know, who, who knows what, what that yeah. has to bring. But 2021, I mean, has been a very, very exciting year for the UFC. They've had yeah. a couple of fights, you know, big fights that have ended in, you know, unfortunate ways. But other than that, they've put on some great cards. Everything's been exciting. They've handled the COVID protocols, you know. I would say they've handled them pretty well with the exception yeah. of a couple things. But, you know, the UFC and they're getting back into arenas now. It's just really exciting to see how the UFC is built off this pandemic. Yeah, yeah. there have been a couple of unfortunate stoppages to fights that we saw. Um, there is two disqualifications that I can remember, though, the poke to the eye and then um, what was the, the, the other knee. one? The illegal Jan knee. Jan versus Sterling. Yeah. yeah. Man, let me tell you, that was – Piotr Jan is a guy I talked about earlier, UFC 232 was like the first card I watched from top to bottom. Mm-hmm. Jan was on, I think he was the first fight of the night, like the early prelims. And ever since then, like he's been one of my favorite guys. I've been mm-hmm. following his Jan career. Jan is electric. Oh my God, he's incredible. And he was absolutely ragdolling all Jermaine Sterling. Yeah. It's just unfortunate, you know, yeah. that the fight, and not even just as a Jan fan, um, but as a fan of the sport, you never want to see someone win a belt that way. Um, you know, and Aljamain Sterling has done some good things over the course of his career, yeah, no but doubt. it's hard not to call him a paper champ because he didn't win the fight. You yeah. know, he, the other guy made a mistake that allowed him to win the belt. And I have no problem with him taking the belt. He should have, but also understand that the rematch it's probably going to look a little bit similar to the first fight. <laughs> yeah, I don't yeah, think the way that it is going. I, I replied to your tweet that one time about that. I said Sterling would adapt a little bit. I think I think he would only I think it would be like slightly like slightly closer just because he's seen him, but I think Jan will still win. But where can <laughs> he adapt? That's the thing. In the yeah. striking realm, it's like Aljamain Sterling holds the record for landing the most strikes in UFC history without dropping or knocking out an opponent. What can you really do to improve that? I mean, sure, you could start bulking up, <laughs> yeah. but then you're going to have a hard time cutting I weight. Think, I think he would just make the round count maybe like a little closer, you know? And, you know, one judge had him winning that fight. Um, that judge, I would call that person crazy. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no doubt. We'll see. Jan, so. Yeah, Jan, Jan's striking is unreal. And honestly. I don't like how Sterling kind of handled himself in the days following that fight either. No. Like, that was that just rubbed me the wrong way the kind completely. Of the show, it kind of looked like a showboating. He because, didn't know how to handle himself. Because at the time, I mean people were arguing and i even said i'm like is he milking this a little bit like just because of the way that the fight was going i was like there's no doubt that 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 shot caused damage and it was clearly illegal but i'm like i don't know part of me felt like he went down just to say that he won that fight and then the way that he handled himself in the days after like i said the showboating i was like come on man you can't you did not win that fight i I don't want to yeah i don't want to say he like like he stayed down we don't know we don't know yeah because i don't think he did concussion or something so i think i mean if jan would have landed that 
knee legally, I think it would have put Sterling out. I mean, the first oh, yeah. right hand that Yan landed, it, it dropped Sterling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He didn't. He didn't. He was on the ground. There a was lot. a reason he was on. Uh, he was down like that. He <laughs> underestimated Yan's power going in, definitely. Um, but I will say that. I don't think Aljo was milking it at all. I think that he handled the situation, you know, in the time, in the moment, the way that he should have handled it. Mm-hmm. There was no reason, and he shouldn't have got up and started fighting again because that would have been that would have looked terrible on the UFC and oh, the yeah. referee. I mean, he was hurt. That, that fight should have been stopped. And if he looked dazed when so, he got up too, that would have been that would have been pretty brutal. Yeah, that was a that would be a matter of massive Jan, controversy. Because yeah, Jan may have just finished him like literally like seconds after. Oh, it would have been seconds after. Yeah, so, all he would have to do was land one clean shot yeah. to the and jaw, and, and then there would have been people like oh, they should have stopped the yeah, fight earlier. He was he was concussed or something like that. Like they would, and especially Dana. I mean, he's not gonna want to take chances yeah, if no. it's going to put a bad spotlight on the UFC so as they say ball don't lie yep rematch Jan's coming back he's going to retake what's his and he's going to run the bantamweight division for a little bit I'm right excited sure. for it. yeah um, that could kind of wrap up the UFC talk um yeah if you guys want to talk about March Madness just a little bit uh because yeah I think uh I, I think we can definitely touch on it just because uh the crazy game that we got to see with um, uh, I'm 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 just I was blown away honestly that was unreal. Yeah, I I think I mean it's crazy that Baylor I mean Baylor was a great team don't get me wrong cuz no it was doubt. they were yeah. one and two the whole year. I oh, mean yeah. everyone knew that Baylor was And weeks ago we talked about second. that. Like I think it was before the tournament even started we said yeah. Gonzaga and Baylor are clearly the two best teams. Yeah, and then there was the teams like Michigan and Illinois that were hanging around like 3-4, but they, it was clearly who who was one and two. I think I think Baylor just they just caught fire at the right time, honestly. Like I think they're both extremely skilled teams. So I think I think uh, Baylor starting out like five for five or six for six on threes just kind of exploded, and then they just they kind I was of just, just ran away. I was blown that. away, like just just the dominance. I mean, they went up by twenty within the first five six minutes, and then. Yeah. After that, it was kind of just the closest Gonzaga got was nine points. Yeah, they were they were ferocious on defense. They they put so much pressure on ball. It was it was ridiculous. They 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 ran a zone that clearly uh, forced that it kind of forced them to make someone else beat them besides mm-hmm. Drew Timmy in the paint. Yeah. So they uh, they kind of forced it that they wouldn't be able to get the ball into him or else he would get trapped. So they had to get Jalen Suggs the ball, which is obviously a great option. He's yeah, a no, five-star no doubt. player, no top doubt. three pick in the draft. But he kind of he he didn't really have anyone else to lean on. It and, felt like. And Gonzaga struggled from three the entire yeah. game, and Baylor was shooting lights out. Yeah, and, and from the free throw line, they yeah. struggled too massively. I think, it, I think Gonzaga had eight or nine turnovers before Baylor had the first one. So. Yeah. Yeah. I think that UCL, UCLA game might have taken a lot out of Gonzaga, too. After yeah. watching the, that finish and how hard it was for them to win that game, going into the into the championship, I was kind of leaning Baylor because I feel like they had more confidence and just a deeper team going into that game. They they handled Houston like very easily, too. Very easily. They were up 40-18 to 18 yeah. in the first half. Yeah. I mean, you know, props to them. First championship in school history. Yeah. Got to be happy for him. It's crazy. They, but n- nothing to hang your hat. You yeah, know, nothing yeah. to hang your hat on if you're Gonzaga, right? You know, Amazing incredible season. season. That's their best season ever. Yeah. I mean, I, it would have been the first uh, 
tournament win for Gonzaga as well. So it was, it was awesome to see two teams. No Duke this year, no Kentucky. Yeah. And you know what? That's honestly nice to see. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's a nice uh, refresher because, you know, uh, Duke, Duke or Kentucky is just going to get the class with like four or five stars probably in a couple of years anyway. So oh, yeah. They'll yeah. be all right. Exactly. I don't know. I was just kind of disappointed in the way that the game played out. I was, I was expecting a closer game. And the point you brought up, my dad said the same thing. He said that the UCLA game made a taken a lot out of Gonzaga yeah I thought it would a little fire under them a little bit because the game was so close UCLA yeah. was an 11 seed and Gonzaga would be like you know what we are the best team in the country but clearly yeah. I I guess they're not I, I think, mean I think it would have made a huge difference if uh well I think Gonzaga since they run they run a, a strict seven-man rotation so uh them playing like having a game that's so intense like that two days earlier with only playing seven guys so they're playing a lot more minutes than yeah. a team like Gonzaga who's like ten nine or ten deep yep no so doubt they they definitely a lot of a couple of their guys may have lost their legs yeah no doubt like, I mean towards, like towards the middle of that game crazy end to a crazy tournament it's just funny that like with all the upsets we saw the two best teams in the end play each other we got two one seeds so it's yep. like I don't know this was one of the most enjoyable. Um, tournaments in recent years if not probably yeah. the most entertaining one i've ever seen even they call it march madness even exactly. without the fans like the environment was awesome this year yeah. and with not having it last year it just made it that much sweeter to yeah. watch i definitely would have liked the championship game to be closer but i mean it, what more can you really ask yeah for? and i, I mean, yeah <laughs> we i can't complain with how the tournament went this year yeah exactly um i said we wrap it up there yeah, uh we're gonna I keep it a little so. shorter this week uh Thank you, Jack, for joining us. This was a great experience. Thank you guys for having me on. I appreciate it. Love talking UFC with you guys. Of course. Uh, yeah, I mean, you're welcome on the show anytime. Uh, appreciate it. No problem. <laughs> you Only if there's no John Jones slander. Listen, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no slander. No, I just can't respect a cheater. Yeah, I mean, that's a fair point. That's a fair point. <laughs> um, you could find these episodes on the library SoundCloud. They're also posted on the Glacier. Um, we'll link Scraptitude, which is your podcast, in the uh, description. Um Thank you guys for joining us, and we'll talk to you next week. Peace.